Hi there, I'm Matt Ashburn, host of the Needlestack podcast. Needlestack is brought to you by Authenticate, creators of the go-to online investigation platform, Silo for Research. If you're looking for a way to conduct research anonymously, protect against cyber threats, all while avoid tipping off your investigative targets, then you want to try Silo for Research. The Silo Research platform completely isolates your online web browsing, allowing you a choice of location and digital fingerprint, and also has built-in workflow and automation tools. The best part is that Silo for Research is software as a service, so it can be used from any computer or location without the need for things like virtual machines, standalone networks, or, or dirty networks. To learn more about Silo for Research, visit Authenticate.com. That's Authentic with the number 8, .com. So for what we focus on, I would say primarily uh, cybercrime related um, as an Intel shop and then Digital Shadows as a, a cybersecurity vendor is looking you know, outside the firewall, looking for corporate data, VIPs, you know, a lot of, I mean, we're going to talk OSINT stuff here, uh, doing open source stuff. We also do closed sources stuff. So my team does the closed sources stuff where you're actually having to interact with an adversary, right? It's, it's something that's gated. You just can't. You can't use a search engine to find it. To so you, mm-hmm. you have to to gain access in, and so I mean I really do look at people, process, and technology in that order, right? Welcome to Needlestack, the podcast for professional online research. I'm your host Matt Ashburn, and I'm your co-host Jeff Phillips. Needlestack is currently on a break as we gear up for our next series. But today, we have a special bonus episode to our SOC series. Jeff had the chance to actually sit down with Rick Holland, who's a CISO at Digital Shadows. That's right, Matt. Rick joined the show to tell us a little bit about building an Intel team and some of his views on cybersecurity best practices. It was a great interview. Uh, that's awesome. Well, great. Let's take a look at that interview. Today, I'm sitting down with a special guest, Rick Holland. Rick is the CISO at Digital Shadows, a ReliaQuest company. He's also the co-chair of the SANS Cyber Threat Intelligence Summit and a regular guest on the podcast Shadow Talk, which is from Digital Shadows. And interestingly enough, uh, has an interesting background in that Rick was an analyst with the well-known industry analyst firm Forrester Research. Rick, welcome to the show. Yeah, Jeff, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Super excited. It's a, it's a very unique background. I didn't mention at the beginning, you also started out as an analyst in the military. So maybe we start with where this all came from. What made you join the military? Um, how has that turned around and shaped uh, how you look at the threat intel world? Yeah, I um, Tom Clancy books is how I got into the intelligence world when I was in high school. I was a good student, but I really didn't feel like college was for me at the time. And I had been reading uh patriot games i think at the time and i was like man i'd love to be jack ryan um, and so i ended up going to the recruiters and army is the route that i ended up going so i spent four and a half years in army intelligence i was stationed in georgia i was stationed in the uk spent time in kuwait spent time on an aircraft carrier in the persian gulf i uh, spent time in germany so it was a really really good experience but you know kind of was a foundation for me because i've been threat focused you know pretty much my entire career since then that's, that's super interesting. Now, you also um, made your way, you know, after coming out of the military, you, you end up at Forrester Research. What do you think about being an industry analyst and uh, providing all that expertise to vendors, to, uh, to enterprises? 
Yeah, it's interesting. Some of your listeners may know the name John Kindervog or Zero Trust, uh, but John Kindervog is a Forrester analyst that created the Zero Trust model. And um, I was a longtime customer of John's in previous lives and a friend of his. And so he recruited me. I had never been at a company that could afford Gartner or Forrester. So I didn't know anything about it. Um, and it was a very grueling interview process. It was, you know, you had to do a presentation, you had to write research. It was pretty grueling and I and ended up getting the job. And the one thing that Kindervog told me that was pretty cool is he's like, you get to kind of steer the industry. Now, John definitely with the zero trust is still steering the industry. But for me, as a new analyst, I wanted to carve out my space because I came from the intelligence community and then threat intelligence was becoming a thing in the private sector. Um, I, I created the research agenda and, and the research that Forrester had on that space. And it was cool because you got to work at Forrester, you get to work with, you know, the largest companies in the world, you know, large vendors on the cybersecurity side, small vendors on the cybersecurity side. So it was a really, it was a really good experience, uh, four and a half years there. And Rick, so I, I should have clarified that. So that the military background was intelligence, but it, as you just mentioned, it wasn't threat intelligence and cybersecurity related. No, no, no. I did traditional, I was imagery intelligence and I did all source intelligence when I wasn't doing that. So I didn't have the cyber CTI side of the house. So I basically just kind of took the things that we would have learned. AIT is in, in the army training where you go to, to learn your skill set um, and then try to adopt that and some of those principles to the private sector. Gotcha. All right. So then um, out of Forrester, you end up um, it, 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 with an opportunity at Digital Shadows. Can you can you tell me a little bit about your work there? Um, I do understand that you actually um, got to take what you were talking about at Forrester and build a threat intel team from the ground up. So what was it like coming in and going into Digital Shadows and what was it like building, uh, building a team and, uh, with that organization? Yeah, it's interesting because I, I felt like I was in the ivory tower as an industry analyst and I was telling people what to do. Um, and I really wanted to go and help build a company. And then ultimately ReliaQuest acquired us, you know, closed that deal last month. So it was kind of an exciting thing there. But in addition to trying to help build out a company to have uh, an exit, I also got to build out the Intel team. And at one point I did a complete rebuild on the Intel team there. So that was a very exciting opportunity. Um, and I still continue to run uh, the Intel team today uh, for, I guess, probably about four years now. Is that, a, do you look, is there a certain type of individual you're looking to join that Intel team? Do you have to have the background? Can you, can you teach somebody that? It's a great question, Jeff. When, when we first started, we had group think, and I talk a lot about, I've done presentations on uh, cognitive biases and things along those lines. But when we first started, we had group think in that everyone on the team, like 80% of them were veterans or, you know, civil servants in the intelligence community. That that sort of thing, or law enforcement people that work in the intelligence community. Um, and thankfully, over time, we started to diversify that group because you never want a homogeneous group. If you're doing intelligence work, you want different perspectives, different backgrounds, different races, religion, sexes, all, all, all that, that sort of stuff there. So we've been able to build a diverse team. I think we're probably about half uh, female, which is pretty exciting. And I have noticed in the Intel space in cybersecurity, tends to be a little bit more diverse than some other functional areas within cybersecurity. But we want to recruit people that are, you know, I, I was a Russian, you know, literature student in graduate school and I speak Russian and then we're going to teach them the cyber side. Or you bring in an incident responder who doesn't know anything about Intel and you teach them the Intel side. Uh, so it's really try to have a wide ranging group of people with different backgrounds if you want to be successful as an Intel shop. Oh, that's, that's super interesting and that's a, a great point with that the diversity of thought. 
Um, and I've been hearing that a little bit more uh, as I've talked to different individuals that you can bring some of that other background and we'll teach you the cyber side. But if you know a, a certain part of the world or a certain country, you're an expert in that. Um, that, that brings some great journalist great actually has been journalist has been one where you've seen a lot of journalists going into uh, cybersecurity vendors, but then also into in just regular enterprise uh, Intel teams as well, because journalists investigative by their nature, right? They're always looking for stories and things like that. So that's a really nice place that people can look for, especially with all the layoffs happening in, in journalism space, right? Sure. So one thing's to build the team. Um, what did it look like from a tooling perspective? I mean, maybe you should say a little bit about what Digital Shadows does. So you've kind of maybe have a leg up with threat intelligence, but you're building the threat intel team there. Was there, um, you know, what did you have to think about from tooling for the threat analysts to, to their OPSEC skills um, and the information they're dealing with. Can you tell us a little bit about that, uh, that element of your teams? Sure. So for what we focus on, I would say primarily uh, cybercrime related um, as an Intel shop and then digital shadows as a, a cybersecurity vendor is looking, you know, outside the firewall, looking for corporate data, VIPs, you know, a lot of, I mean, we're going to talk OSINT stuff here, uh, doing open source stuff. We, also do closed sources stuff. So my team does the closed sources stuff where you're actually having to interact with an adversary, right? It's, it's something that's gated. You just can't, you can't use a search engine to find it. So you, mm -hmm. you have to, to gain access in. And so, I mean, I really do look at people process and technology in that order. Right. And we already talked about the diversity of people that's there, but the people are the most important thing. I mean, you could have the best tech stack, the best infrastructure, the best tooling, but if you lose people um, and you don't have, you know, you know, next person up, you know, retention planning for someone mm -hmm. that leaves, right? Then, then that can hose your whole thing. So I think the people is the most important part of a, of a shop. And then the processes that you have so that people are enabled, hey, this is our playbook for doing research um, on GitHub. This is our playbook for interacting with Russian cyber criminals on, you know, one of the closed source forums and things along those lines. Um, and then finally, you have your tech stack. Tech stack could be the tools that you use to do your research. Um, it could be or it would be the infrastructure that you're connecting um, from to do your research. So it really is that people process and technology. I think a lot of times people just focus on the tech side mm -hmm. and they don't really think about the people in the process, which is really what needs to happen to uh, make, make the most out of your tech. Can I poke on that a little bit more on the process side when we talk about OSINT and for those uh, listening to us, if you're not coming from a, a government or military background, that's for open source intelligence, uh, which is an entire intelligence discipline within um, within the government. But uh, in essence, it um, amongst other open sources besides newspapers, magazines is is the Internet. Right. So it's a public open source information that you're able to access there. Um, when you talk about uh, the processes um, and you know dealing with adversaries, I mean, is that that's within the playbook? How do you uh, make sure you're whether, you know, protecting your identity, protecting the company's identity, protecting the um, the infrastructure from any malware? Is that all kind of wrapped up in those processes? Yeah, I mean, you call it tradecraft, right? So we have mm -hmm. our tradecraft and Intel shops have that. And it's 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 the way that you try to do things and you try to do things consistently um, from the networks you connect to uh, and connect from from the legends or personas that you run, which is a, which is an interesting one in particular, because you may have multiple people that are running a legend. Uh, and when I say legend here, I mean, a sock puppet will be a term that, that yep. some folks may be familiar with, right? But you have created this online identity 
that you're going out to collect information. And it could be open source information from, um, you could be engaging with people on forums um, that maybe um, kind of call that deep web, right? If it's, yeah. it's someplace like that. And then I don't like to call it dark web because I call it derp web usually, but uh, you know, dark web would be, you know, onion sites, you know, some of these ransomware um, uh, uh, sites where they're announcing their victims or on onion sites and you need a Tor browser uh, to do that. But you, you have your playbooks and how you're going to interact, how this particular identity is going to speak and the tone and how they're going to engage. And you may build up a, uh, you know, one legend may have a particular skill set. You know, so you have someone that's technical that's feeding into it. And then the person that's doing the work may actually be a Russian speaker. So you might have multiple people that are kind of building out this profile. Um, and then you you also have to do care and feeding of these profiles. Like mm -hmm. you can, these legends, you know, you could get booted from a forum if you're not active, if you're not engaging. So there's, there's a whole discipline around it. And it's not something that you, um, I would not recommend anyway to, to do it without processes in place uh, because when you're, when you're doing open source research, when you're doing closed source research, you know, you could be putting your staff at risk, depending on the type of activity uh, and the type of actors you might be investigating, you know, OPSEC, operation security is really, really important. That makes a lot of sense. And, and I hear you, we've, we've, we've talked a little bit uh, in the podcast about sock puppets and legends, not a ton, but um, you know, I think that is something we're going to have to tackle in, uh, in, in some future episodes about what, what that's all about, what, what can you do? What can't you do? Um, are there policies in place for your company? Are you allowed to even do that? You know, what, what are you able to do? Um, uh, definitely happens all in the military and a lot in the government side. So uh, definitely an interesting topic to dive in. We might have to bring you back for that. Yeah. I mean, that could be a whole segment just in, in that alone. <laughs> for sure. Well, um, we have been in interesting times. Uh, can we talk, how is, your team, you know, we've had COVID, a lot of us are working remotely. Um, how's, how has that affected your threat Intel team? Is it affected, you know, are they working from home? Has that changed uh, any of your processor tooling? What's it, or even team dynamics? What's it been like the last couple of years for your threat Intel teams? It has been interesting. You know, Digital Shadows has always been a remote friendly kind of hybrid mm -hmm. workforce, particularly in the US. We started in the UK um, so there is a, a collection of people in London. Actually, London's a great place to recruit from because you have so many multinational dual citizens there that's actually really good if you want to have, you know, uh, a, a Chinese British person or an Iranian British person or a Russian British person, right? You have that, that, that melting pot's really good for intelligence work. Uh, so we were fortunate in that we didn't have to switch to a new way of doing business or we didn't have to change our trade craft significantly because we were already remote friendly. Now, where we did have challenges is, you know, there were some people that we had hired and I hadn't seen them in person for 18 months, or they had not worked with their peers for 18 months in person. And it was, uh, you know, just on a screen like we are now. So if you're trying to, uh, I'll give a very specific example. We do these quarterly, uh, I mentioned cognitive biases. You can use these things called structured analytic techniques to overcome cognitive biases that could be a whole segment there as well but something like confirmation bias like you you see what you want to see right um, and structured analytic techniques help you talk about a problem externalize it um, and we had been doing them remote like these remote workshops mm -hmm. we would take a set we'd take something like hey this threat actor did this why do we think or who do we think this threat actor was and we do these remote on zoom kind of brainstorming sessions now that we're 
seeing each other in person again, it becomes like a whole team building event. We take the afternoon off, no official work. We do, we do some planning and you may do an hour, an hour and a half of discussion on a particular threat topic. And we break down and we have, we come to some, you know, some intelligence assessments and things along those lines. Mm -hmm. So it has been really nice to be back in person because I think the collaboration, you, you know, you just can't be in person collaboration. And we hadn't seen our peers, many of them, you know, it had been a year plus before anyone had seen any, uh, someone is just a lone person on a zoom screen. So, right. Uh, it's, it's been nice to be able to travel across the U S to travel across to, to London again. Well, and I think sometimes people think about a threat intel analyst that you could be or any of the type of fantasy, even in a sock that you can sit there in a, in your dark little world and, and be doing things. But you, you mentioned some interesting dynamics and it, maybe it's more specific to your org, but where there's some teaming going here, right? Whether it's based on language or understanding that country or being an expert in certain, certain cyber things, but just like any other parts of the business, working together and teaming seems to uh, add a lot of value. It sounds like. hundred percent. I do like the hybrid though, because I think people have gotten to the point where it is nice to be at home a couple days a week or more to, and where you can dig into a problem set. Like, Oh, maybe you, you've got to do research on a particular target that you're going after. And it's just easier to, to be zoned out, you know, on your couch with a laptop on your chest, maybe for some folks uh, to go and do, you know, those type of, uh, of works, but then be able to collaborate and learn new skills, you know, educate, you know, deconstruct a problem um, is nice to be able to do in person as well. Absolutely. Well, um, before we close up here, uh, Rick, you know, you've, you've got a very interesting background. You've built uh, teams from the, from the ground up here. Um, any recommendations or tips for intelligence analysts that are just getting started? So, you know, tips for general practitioners out there? There's probably three things that I would say. One is that you do not have to come from the intelligence community to do intelligence work, right? As I said, with the people recruiting, you know, if you have a language skill, right, that could be very valuable um, to enterprises, to, to, to vendors that are out there. So that's just kind of one thing. Don't think that you have to be some elite, you know, or elite cyber hacker to be able to do, to do this work. You don't. The second thing is for people that are more technically inclined, learning Python, I think is a very good language to have because there's so much data manipulation and moving it from one place to another. And you might be doing something with an API on a, on an open source, uh, application that's out there and you want to take that data and move it someplace else. So Python is a good skill to have. Um, and the third one, again, I talk about people a lot and this is very, you already mentioned the SAN CTI summit. So this is, mm. I, re I recognize my own bias towards <laughs> the SAN CTI summit, but this we're in our 11th year. It's going to be in January. We're going to be in crystal city in Virginia, the, um, at the end of January, but find something like that because there's the community, right. And actually just having come back from DEF CON and black hat, you know, the whole hallway con and, and meeting people, you know, it's, it's better than any kind of tool training that you could have or investments that you make there, like building out your network, learning how people that are trying to tackle similar intelligence problems are doing it from a people process and technology perspective. I just don't think you can beat the human relationships and the human networks that you can build. So yeah, definitely promoting the SAN CTI summit in January of 2023. Oh, that's awesome. Well, Rick, I really appreciate your time. Um, you know, for all those listening, we will have links uh, to follow Rick, to check out these different uh, podcasts uh, as well as the summits. So again, thank you for your time today, Rick. 
Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun. Well, thank you to Rick for joining us for that interview and to everyone for tuning in today. You know, as always, if you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcast. You can watch episodes on YouTube and view transcripts and other episode info on our website. That's authenticate.com slash needlestack, authentic with the number eight dot com slash needlestack. And of course, be sure to follow us on Twitter at needlestackpod. We'll be back on September 13th with new episodes on fact-checking and debunking. We'll see you then. Hi there, I'm Matt Ashburn, host of the Needlestack podcast. Needlestack is brought to you by Authenticate, creators of the go-to online investigation platform, Silo for Research. If you're looking for a way to conduct research anonymously, protect against cyber threats, all while avoid tipping off your investigative targets, then you want to try Silo for Research. The Silo Research platform completely isolates your online web browsing, allowing you a choice of location and digital fingerprint, and also has built-in workflow and automation tools. The best part is that Silo for Research is software as a service, so it can be used from any computer or location without the need for things like virtual machines, standalone networks, or, or dirty networks. To learn more about Silo for Research, visit Authenticate.com. That's Authentic with the number 8, .com.